Barney's doesn't guarantee success. Vogue doesn't guarantee success. What guarantees success is if you actually find an audience that actually loves your product. We've been very slow to change in terms of how technology has impacted our lives. A new social network can pop up overnight and completely change our business model. Hello and welcome to the Glossy Podcast, our weekly show where we discuss fashion, luxury, and technology with the people making change happen. I'm your host, Hilary Milnes, and on today's episode, Council of Fashion Designers of America CEO and President Stephen Kolb discussed American luxury's ongoing identity crisis, the resiliency of Fashion Week, and the future of billion-dollar fashion brands. Hope you enjoy it. Stephen. Hi, Hilary. So we were just saying you actually were on this podcast with uh, the designer Timo Wieland um, almost three years ago. Wow. So <laughs> a lot is a lot has changed, kind of. Uh, I don't know. Would you say a lot of, has changed in, in fashion over the last three years? Yeah, I actually think there's been uh, a lot of change in, in fashion. Um, in recent years, specifically, I've always said for an industry that uh, historically uh, – changes collection season after season designers are always working on a new collection the business side of it historically hasn't really changed that much mm-hmm. so uh, we've seen a, a, a big movement uh, with new ideas new direction uh, new thinking so yeah definitely yeah so what does that mean for for you and, and where where you sit you kind of have this overview uh, across um, you know the a collective of designers and from your perspective, what are the biggest forces of change that, that they're now dealing with? Yeah. Well, at CFDA, we are a membership organization. So uh, we represent 500 members, more or less, right now. Although a lot of uh, non-member designers are supported and involved with the CFDA, as is the whole industry, from media to retail to supply chain partners. Uh, and we always look at the lifeline of a designer. How can we help a designer Uh, achieve uh, business goals, opportunities, success, starting with students, working all the way up to those big iconic brand ambassadors like a Ralph Lauren. Uh, And it's been um, really interesting to see the membership, which in 1962 when we started was determined by the name on the label. Mm -hmm. So you had Pauline Jaeger or Arnold Scazzi or, or Bill Platt. Bill Blass, and hopefully the listeners understand and know who they are, particularly <laughs> if they like fashion, that they have some um, history on that. Right. But it, it changed. Um, the industry is really driven um, maybe uh, in the last decade or so by creative directors at brands. Uh, so you see uh, people like when Jenna was at J. Crew or others that are being hired to represent brands and have had a big uh, voice and, and presence in terms of the industry. And now you really see um, the success coming, not so much from the designer who's starting a label and has to learn business, it's the opposite. It's the business guy who has an idea based on fashion or design mm-hmm. uh, that has to figure out the fashion piece into that business. So right. that is really uh, the direct-to-consumer uh, uh, business model that uh, a lot of us are shopping directly through uh, and a lot of designers are trying to figure out because they 
approach business more traditionally through the wholesale model. Um, they got keen on opening stores. They caught on to that. That's always a challenge capital uh, and, and money to do that. And then when the e-commerce thing really started, trying to figure that out, whether through their own website or, or Shopify, but really that, that I think that's been the phenomenal uh, real shift uh, in the industry. Right. This this idea that you have the, the means to have a direct channel to your customer, a direct open you know communication, and how do you make the most of that? Do you feel like direct to consumer and the brands you've seen, especially on the apparel side, is that business model? Is is that way of uh, of starting a company? Is that friendly to fashion designers, at least in the in the like way that we we typically think about them? I think in 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 a pure way, maybe not. But I think the the concept or the model of it is easily replicated or copied by a designer. Mm -hmm. um, it just requires a different thinking and a different mindset because, again, you look at some of these big direct-to-consumer brands. These are not designers. They are Harvard business grads or, or people that come from a tech background um, and really uh, had to engage designers within the the system uh, in, in creating product. And maybe they were more product-driven. Many of them are more product-driven uh, initially and then get more design focus as the companies mature. But I think that business model um, in its in its purity is something that designers could really learn from and adapt from mm -hmm. uh, and adapt to uh, given the right uh, resources and knowledge and understanding of how that works. Mm -hmm. Right. It, it seems like it just kind of comes down to if you have the product, uh, I mean, you know, we talk about this a lot, product and brand really have to have to be side by side in, in terms of how they're you know, treated in, in terms of importance for, for these customers today. If you don't have that product, you don't really have have anything else that goes with it. So yeah. it's, it's more about building that, that direct-to-consumer infrastructure around that designer and their product. Um, is there anyone that you would say is doing like, you know, on the right, on the right track to, to rethinking this new dynamic? Yeah. I mean, uh, let's think that's a good question. I think the, the approach that you're describing is, is something that I've been thinking about a lot. Um, uh, a good friend uh, of mine and, and great mentor and supporter of day, Andrew Rosen, who recently stepped down for a CEO of Theory, said in an interview with Vanessa Friedman, you know, he's a merchant uh, mm -hmm. and today's CEO needs to be a marketing person. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, um, last year we do a program where we bring designers to Paris or in Paris fashion week called Americans in, in Paris. And uh, we were lucky enough to have Renzo, who from Only the Brave, who founded Diesel, talk about his story, his journey in the industry, which is many, many decades. And you know, he said when he started, it was product. And then he said today, and he held up his iPhone, today it's this. So I think there is a, a savvy around marketing and, and understanding that digital. But to answer your question, you know, I look at Kirby, uh, what he's doing. Um, uh, with Pierre Moss um, as a good example. He isn't um, uh, positioning himself or describing himself as a fashion designer. If you ask him what he does, he wouldn't answer designer. Mm. You know, he's really a creative. So he's about collaboration. Um, he's about art. He's about music. But he's also about building that 
that customer engagement uh, through his social channels. I mean, this guy follow, gets, is followed by a film crew. Like, he's got his own personal film crew and photographer mm-hmm. capturing content uh, with him every single day. I mean, that's kind of brilliant in a way. Right. And so, and he's building that engagement uh, direct to consumer. So I think he's a good example uh, uh, of, a, of a talent that um, is doing that in, in a good way. Um, yeah. So why do you think that, you know, new creatives don't really want to be considered designers? Uh, and, you know, Virgil Abloh has said that as well. Like, I'm not I'm not a designer. Uh, what, what 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 do you make? How do you make sense of that? I think it's limiting in today's uh, marketplace and in, in, in today's business. Um, I think they're also reacting to what their consumer or some people don't even call the customer a consumer anymore. It's a fan, mm-hmm. right? What their fans think and want. So I think it's really um, playing to them and, and delivering to what that person who's going to buy something or invest in something uh, wants and in, in how they see it. Right. So so when you think about you know success for, for designers today, uh, I'm just going to use that word because it's easier. <laughs> uh, is there a higher barrier of entry because you have like it, it seems like there's two competing you know ideologies because you have you know the it's never been easier to start a line or a brand uh, but at the same time designers don't have to do so much more uh, it's you have to be a personality at the same time as you are creating great clothing and you're, you're working you know all year round and how do you sort of figure out what it means to be a successful designer today I think personality has always been a part of it. Um, there just hasn't been the reach or the platform to express personality like there is today. I mean, Halston was a personality. Uh, you know, he went to Studio 54, and, and people knew he was at Studio 54, and, and people talked about him. And he also understood the mass appeal, right? He was one of the first to have mass market collection at, at J.C. Penney. So I think, you know, I think it's always been part of the of the. The DNA or or the success is that personality or that ability to, to to reach a broad audience. It's just we have more ways to do that now. Podcasts being one of them. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I think that I think success um, is 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 difficult to measure, um, but ultimately success comes down to, in my opinion, uh, money. Right? Are you actually making money and paying your bills? Are you actually uh, building a team uh, and paying them um, good salaries, uh, team members that have families, kids, or going to school? Like, have you created a, a an internal infrastructure that supports whatever this business is? And are you making money to to sustain that? Mm-hmm. And and making money is different for a lot of people. Um, it isn't always as young designers when I ask them, you know, what is their, their dream or their goal? They say, I want to be a global lifestyle brand. Mm-hmm. I mean, there isn't a designer who won't say that, but it isn't always about that. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe it is for a Samba. It can easily be about creating a $5, $10 million bill- business that sustains itself. So success is different, but it really is about being profitable um, um, and and investing in the company and the and the team members within that company. Right. And it's also what what you believe in, which I think is different than the Bill Blass or the Halston error of designer. There's so much more social consciousness to the industry now 
Uh, and I think uh, for fashion, maybe even more so than some of the under, other industries. So success for someone like Maria Cornejo uh, is, is putting out a collection or a brand that uh, is sustainable or green. Mm-hmm. Um, for someone else, it might be about uh, supporting um, women empowerment through product and, and collaboration with, with organizations. So that's a really um, um, nice piece of success that I think exists in fashion and, and is a way that you know we can look at what people are doing good or, or not so good. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, that those measures uh, seem to be, to your point, it's thinking less about, you know, your, your customer as a customer. We hear, you know, the word community all the time and, and that type of uh, brand values uh, that, you know, social responsibility seems to fuel that, that community piece. Um, how else do you kind of make sense of who's today's customer is, especially when you get in, when you get into luxury fashion and how these new designers are going to kind of catch that, that traction and build into, you know, maybe a a $10 million business or a global business, but either way, like an actual sustainable business. Yeah. I mean, I think we have to be careful about the word luxury, uh, particularly in uh, America. Um, You know, there's a lot of, um, uh, focus or conversation about what is American luxury, um, and we're not Europe. Uh, we don't have here LVMH or Karen. We don't have these big conglomerates with, with, with tons of ca- cash and lots of patience to build a luxury brand. We're much more scrappy, and we always have been. Uh, you know, we've always been about sportswear, and even today, you look at the, the significant uh, positioning of streetwear uh, globally, that's, that's an, an American thing, right? Palenciaga to me is a streetwear brand right now. Mm. It's not a luxury brand, but they've co-opted street as luxury. So I think that um, we're smaller. We're smaller brands. We're more independent brands. There are a few companies trying to build that conglomerate thinking. Right. Tapestry, mm-hmm. which is Coach, Kate Spade, Stuart Weitzman, uh, Capri, Michael Kors. Versace now and, and and Jimmy Choo, so you see a bit of that, but still not not you know at, at a level of an LV, LVMH. So you know I think it's it goes really not so much about is it a a building a luxury brand or 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 is it a luxury market? It's about building that brand DNA that relates to a customer that's going to respond to that product and to that designer. Mm-hmm. Um, Supreme has done a good job at that. Kith, which is right on the corner uh, near my office. It's amazing to see the lineup there of people just going in and buying um, Kith sweatshirts and and stuff. So um, it's really just that that, that brand DNA and building that customer loyalty more than really building a, a, a luxury brand. How do you feel about the the streetwearification of of luxury? How, does, does it feel like, to your point, like as soon as I said luxury, you're like, well, we have to we have to think around that word a little bit. Do you feel like American fashion has is kind of dealing with an identity crisis? I think American fashion is sometimes hard on itself, ourself. Um, um, I think we're always have an identity crisis of <laughs> of what we are and who we are. But I think we. We don't often stand up and own the fact that uh, street really comes from 
the states, mm-hmm. um, the influence of sportswear, or even the uh, investment of young talent in the states, much different than in Europe. Um, the democracy of fashion mm-hmm. in, in the states, the ability for, for designers to uh, try something and achieve success. So, you know, that's an identity that we need to be proud of and, and own. And also look at this country and the size of this country. I mean, I was kind of tracking my, you know, miles from my, my airline partner. You know, when you go to New York to LA, that's a lot of miles. Oh, yeah. And um, and there are a lot of stores between New York and LA <laughs> and in New York and LA. And look at the size of Europe. You know, all of those European brands, this market is their prime market. Okay. Obviously, we can talk about China and Asia and what's going on there. But when you look at a market to, to penetrate and, and to saturate, it's definitely in the American market. So that's something we own. We just need to be better at seeing what we're good at and what we've done well and who we are, as opposed to why we don't look like Paris or whatever that comparison is in, in, in compare less. Mm-hmm. And no, I, I totally agree. And, and it seems then where does that leave, you know, a big a big chunk of, of America's designers that are in this contemporary space? I, you know, it seems like any time that you're you're kind of caught in the middle, it's hard. It gets, you're not mm-hmm. fast fashion. You're not you're not Gucci. But how do you. What do you what do you make of, of what's happening there? Yeah, it's a really good question and something we talk about at CF Day all the time and something we struggle with and in and, and work on is the the importance or the value of the contemporary designer mm-hmm. because um, um, he, she or he is often really overlooked and um, not considered. I'll give you some examples. We do the CF Day Fashion Awards first Monday of every June coming up. Uh, June 2nd or 3rd is the first Monday, I think. Yeah. Second, maybe. And contemporary designers don't get to nominate it for Women's Wear Designer of the Year, right? Mm-hmm. It's it's pretty much designer level, or now we see a little bit of some of the maybe uh, street stuff happening, but nobody really seems to check their name when they're filling out their, their ballots. So, And that's frustrating to that group of designers Mm -hmm. um, because they don't feel validated. And even when you look at Fashion Week and and, in New York Fashion Week, and and we know that there's a great uh, strength to New York Fashion Week, but we'd be naive to think there aren't some challenges to it as well, the, the length of it being one of those challenges. You know, how do we ask ourselves all the time, how do we create a more dynamic Fashion Week that makes it more attractive? Um, uh, for people to be here and want to be here, and but still accommodate all the designers, right? Mm-hmm. A lot of those contemporary designers who are on the Fashion Week schedule, who we're loyal to and have our brand, a, a lot of the international buyers and editors, they don't really care about that, mm-hmm. right? And so that that's really hard. Uh, so it's a really, really good question. But um, without question, that the contemporary market um, ha- has been a driving uh, force, uh, I think, um, for, for the industry in terms of making what are super expensive clothes to be less super expensive, right? right. <laughs> and they put it definitely more in the reach of, of a consumer. So I think that really drove a lot of growth. 
but there's a lot of similarity among the contemporary brands. So the challenge has been for designers is how do they distinguish themselves from one of their colleagues? Mm -hmm. Because a lot of it does look the same. And, and so there is a big struggle there. And I do think that those brands with the right um, um, management and the right planning could pivot to a more direct-to-consumer model because right. some of the ones that are successful, like in Everlane, right, or Reformation, are not that really different than a typical contemporary brand. Right. They're, they're kind of doing exactly what you mentioned, which is kind of making this accessible luxury. Uh, it's, it just comes down to the, the marketing spin. That's right. That's right. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think that's I think that's going to be a big opportunity for contemporary. Um, and, and to your point about Fashion Week, you know, I think there's been so much conversation over the past, you know, two, two or three years around the future of it. And, and do you think all of that was overblown in, in terms of... I think it was unfair, to be uh-huh. honest. I think that Fashion Weeks globally are all uh, at a point of, of, of uh, evaluation, rethinking, and change. And i sensitive, maybe, um, at least my husband tells me that, <laughs> uh, to, you know, criticism. But, um, you know, I think sometimes the New York Fashion Week has been unfairly um, beat up. Um, there's a lot of strength in New York Fashion Week. You have a lot of really important shows. And there isn't a city that I believe has the same level of young talent that's happening uh, in a way. Like, again, look at Kirby's show from two seasons ago out in Weeksville. It was ranked one of the top fashion shows globally uh, by the New York Times. Um, look at what Telfar has been doing. Um, and look at Ralph's 50th anniversary show uh, two seasons ago. Mark continues to be um, uh, a star uh, closing Fashion Week. So there's a lot of real great talent. Um, the problem is, is it's it's too long. Mm-hmm. And uh, we used to be eight days. We used to be um, basically uh, Thursday to Thursday, mm-hmm. starting Wednesday night. We got rid of a Thursday, and now we're Thursday to to Wednesday. So we're really actively looking at how we can shorten it, condense things, so that those designers that the international visitors are most interested in are in a tighter period. So when they come in, they don't feel like they have down wasted time. So that's something that, uh, you know, like a um, a rocket scientist really needs to figure out because it's very complex. But, you know, we're close to kind of maybe um, um, figuring that out. And mm-hmm. as you probably know, we have a new chairman of CFD who starts June 1. Diane von Furstenberg's been our chairman for the last 13 years. So she'll, at the CFD Award, she will hand over the, the reign to Tom Ford. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and Fashion Week is something... Um, in, in my meetings and conversations with Tom, that's very important for him, to, for CFDA to look at and, and to strengthen. And so um, the other thing about Fashion Week is you know that recently the shed uh, opened at Hudson Yards, the right. shed being a cultural institution uh, here in New York now with a n- number of great performances and, and exhibits. And when that was designed by David Rockwell and, and Liz Diller, 
Uh, they met with show producers and the industry. So it has a uh, structure that's very much lends itself to fashion shows. So mm-hmm. I think that venue and, and that addition, um, that inventory more or less to, to space and venue will add something as well too in terms of the possibilities of how, how designers can and will show. Right. Yeah. So it seems like there's so much like conversation and noise happening around it. And then there is some change happening that, that you guys are leading. Um, and But at the end of the day, how do you like how do the fashion shows and fashion weeks still serve, you know, the marker of success, which is, you know, fueling helping these designers fuel their business? Is that piece of it still still there? And, and what did um, you watch happen as some designers went in season and then kind of went back like that, that kind of push and pull yeah. of the see now by now? Yeah. It's what I said earlier for an industry that changes so much season to season with clothes. We didn't really change that much on the business side. And mm-hmm. Fashion Week is a good example of that. And a few years back, um, we did a study on the future of Fashion Week uh, with the Boston Consultant Group. And the reason we did that was I'd go to fashion shows and I'd be sitting next to people and you'd hear chatter about why Fashion Weeks worked, they didn't work, and we really felt like we could um, um, do some research, dive into that, and look at that, like what's working, what's not working, what are the opportunities. And Mm -hmm. when we released that report on cfda.com, it was the most traffic we ever got on our website, and I think today still, maybe Kim Kardashian, when we did... uh, gave her award last year, maybe got a little bit more traffic but, <laughs> or equal. So that was pretty amazing. Yeah. So it was a topic that people were were certainly interested in. And and the result of that study and and, and the kind of the, the main finding, uh, which a lot of people felt like was a cop-out and, and wasn't worth the effort or, or the time, was brands should do what's best for brands. Right. And we hold to that today <laughs> still, right? And what does that mean? It means someone like Alex Wang has decided to go off season. He shows in June and he shows in December. Um, Proenza more or less did that when they went to uh, Europe and were showing during couture dates uh, and came back. And there's value for, for Alex to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, he's basically combining his pre and his main collections earlier. He's showing the collection twice to the buyer with multiple deliveries into the store. So it's a positive for him in terms of of delivery, earlier delivery, uh, longer full price, um, more downtime between collections. Maybe the downsize is he's not getting a full buy from a buyer who's having to buy in June when she's waiting to look at the collections when they come later. Maybe there's a little money left over for like a Reese and a buy. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that's one thing that has worked for him. Narcissa Rodriguez is another designer that does that. Tommy is the the poster child of See Now, Buy Now. Um, and Tommy has you know, money behind him. So he can do the See Now, Buy Now. He can do a Zendaya collab or a Gigi Hadid collab. And, and again, direct to consumer, right? That mm-hmm. stuff is being sold online, mm-hmm. not in stores and selling out. And so that's been really successful. Ralph Lauren is a direct to consumer show, even though he doesn't sell it like that. When you go to Ralph's show, you can buy those clothes right away. So that that has worked for, for a lot of people. And a lot of people have backed away from um, fashion shows as well. They just don't do them anymore. Derek Lamb has stopped doing them. 
um, or doing really small, mm-hmm. old school market appointments. So this idea of, you know, do what's best for yourself, I believe in and I actually think works. What it does, it dilutes the, the volume connected in a smaller period. So it, it seems weaker, but really it's stronger because those brands that are doing what they think is best and what works for them is, is, is more successful. But for, for a young designer, the, the, the push or the validation of doing a fashion show is wrong. Um, um, you shouldn't do a fashion show. Uh, and this before we even did the study is something I, I thought I believe. You shouldn't do a fashion show unless you really are ready to do it. Mm-hmm. You've really built a business. You really have a market audience. And you really have the funding to do it because a fashion show can bankrupt a business and, and actually shut down a business. But it's become more about marketing mm-hmm. than it has become about sales. We know the buyer is actually going to the showroom or the studio to see the collection. So that that the the marketing there is still really invaluable to to a designer. Right. And so it seems like, you know, the the new formula is that there is no there's no formula. Yeah, and so no new formula. When you talk to you know, there's two there's two interesting players here. What one is the young designers who are now like Okay, they, they might have grown up thinking like, okay, you know, this if I hit this milestone, that'll you know show that I'm I'm you know hitting this certain amount of success, and then I'll have a fashion show. Like, how what do you what do you do if you're a new designer, like thinking about how just to get started? Do you feel like they almost feel like, oh, what you know, if I would have been a designer 20 years ago, this would have been all laid out for me? Yeah, that's that that might be how they think, but I remember sitting with. Um, 10 designers when we had our incubator program and they were very new in business and we were in Diane's studio and they were, you know, she's been in business many years and they were just like, oh, we can't wait to get to the point where, we're, where you are and we don't have any worries or troubles. And she says, don't be so anxious and don't be in such a rush because you'll get here and you'll still have the problems and the worries. They'll just be bigger and greater than you have now. <laughs> so at any level that that, that exists. But I think that young designers are, if they are trying to build a business like she built a business or someone 20 years ago built a business, they're not going to succeed. They have to be more nimble than that. They have to think differently than that. And they have to find their validation in terms of their creativity and their product and the way they sell product. And so there's so many ways to be um, clever and, and, and creative, uh, again, back to technology, um, you know, there's, there's no question that Instagram and, and social media has transformed the way we communicate. Uh, and so the opportunities there and, and, and having that dialogue uh, with a mass audience of followers versus 300 people in, in, in a venue is, is powerful. It's 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 leveraging that that technology or those platforms that's tricky, mm-hmm. um, and how do you build that audience? And I think Instagram does a great job. They have a a full fashion team that spends a lot of time not just giving people a blue check and verifying them, but actually <laughs> like like teaching them skills. We take designers through all of our with number programs for young designers. And in, in every group that uh, starts a, a program, they always go to Instagram and they do a, a heavy tutorial. So it's figuring out what tools and, and, and resources uh, can be used now. Many of it is still live events. 
Um, and that can be through collaborations. Uh, you see designers who are doing um, plus size uh, now. And so maybe there's a collaboration. I remember when Prabal did something with, um, first started doing, you know, more size diverse uh, uh, clothing. Mm-hmm. He was doing some stuff with Lane Bryant. So it's mm-hmm. an opportunity to get some funding there. It's being creative uh, as well in, 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 in how you incorporate uh, a partner and, and be able to advance a collection. Right. So, so the, the young designers are getting different types of tools and, and, and lessons and resources for, for the beginning. What about the buyers? You know, I feel like they're kind of in this very interesting, like get being pulled in a bunch of different directions because you have direct to consumer where they're realizing they can be cut out of the equation. You also have the season changes where they're, you know, their, their own buys are, are getting uh, pulled around by the decisions that the designers make. How can people on the buy side actually keep up with everything that's happening? Well, you see the retailers themselves even being more product-driven in, in private label. and yeah, Take um, matters into their own hands. <laughs> yeah, and also, like, look in Macy's just bought uh, Story, right, mm-hmm. uh, which is a cool concept. And you see Bloomingdale's opening their version of Story. I forget what they called it. Um, um, but so you really you see that kind of special product collaboration. So I think that's a big piece of it. Mm-hmm. You know, working with designers on uh, uh, unique collaborations around a theme or or a season that that that's unique to a retailer. So it's it's a bit of a collaborative process. Um, and you know, I, I say that the the, the buyer is still real still relevant um, as. Those brick and um, mortar stores um, are all obviously uh, have significant e-commerce sides, but that 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 role is still existing, right? Mm-hmm. You look at a Net-a-Porter or, or a Moda or Farfetch, um, you know that that role is still supported. Those companies are still supported by uh, a, a buyer. I mean, I think the fashion director is interesting, right? That seems. Yeah more of a style maker or more of a kind of image maker. And, and you see, let's see what happens at Neiman Marcus, their, mm-hmm. their fashion director, Ken Downing, went to American Dream, which is like this giant mall in, 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 in the Meadowlands, which is interesting. Yeah. And let's see if they even replace him. Probably mm-hmm. not, mm-hmm. right? So... It's interesting to watch. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, we're kind of in this in this phase now too, where a lot of the American global brands, uh, led by you know these creative directors um, and designers, Diane von Furstenberg, Tommy Hilfiger, Ralph Lauren, like they're getting older. <laughs> um, you know, how much you know what what happens when when those companies you know that have been the trademark of of American fashion for the last thirty plus years phase out, and you know who. Like what happens after that? Like who replaces them? Where? What are your kind of predictions for the next, you know, five to ten years? Yeah, I, I, I've seen it done nice and good, and I've seen it done not so nice and not so good. Um, but um, I think Herrera did a good job of it, right? There's a little bump there with um, bringing some talent that came from another brand uh, and then went back to that brand. But I, I think they hit a home run with West. Gordon, who's the creative director of Herrera. Mm-hmm. And I think why that worked there, and I think Wes is still, uh, I think uh, I love Wes. I think he's so nice and, and so talented. And so I was so excited when he um, got that position as creative director. And um, I think he's doing a good job and he's only getting better season after season. But the reason that worked there is the company Herrera is owned 
by a parent company, right? It's in a family-owned company. So Mrs. Herrera was able really to step out of that, mm-hmm. right? Still her name, but she was really stepped out of it and let Wes and Emily Rubenfeld, who's the president of Carolina Herrera, run that. So there's a really good example. I think when you look at a designer whose name is on the label and it's family run and the family's involved, uh, it's a private company, it's harder to to step away and let somebody else take that over. Mm -hmm. Um, And and so I've seen some some missteps there. um, even you know with, with Oscar, I think when Peter was there, Peter Coppin, um, you know, I don't know that that was the right personality fit for that brand, which is mm-hmm. still a, that company is still a family-owned company, even Oscar, since even though Oscar's dead, but it's still a family-run company. Right. So it, it it's it's very tricky, but. Um, 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 it really requires two things. It requires the designer who started the company or whose name is on the label to generally step away and, and understand and trust that the future is uh, on the shoulders of someone new. For the second part of it, for that person who steps in, it's not erasing the heritage or the DNA of that designer because mm-hmm. that is a disaster. That's how the band got to be the success or the level of success that, that it is. It's about h- harnessing that and using that in a fresh and modern way because I've seen it, not naming names, where new creative people have come in and they just want to erase the, mm-hmm. the designer and, and the designer is right there, right? That, that doesn't make any sense. That's the power of the brand is like, how do you, you, you harness that? But this requires a lot of secession planning and, 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 and a lot of ego check, but also a lot of um, um, reflection on our own morality, mortality around uh, um, uh, uh, our, our existence within the industry, too. Right, so right. it's tricky. Yeah, it's a lot, a lot to grapple with, I'm sure. Do you think that new designers are ever going to, like, can you reach the same level now? Or was that kind of like a making of also the the period in the fashion industry like to hear that a young designer still has the ambitions of being a global lifestyle brand is interesting because you hear like our one billion dollar you know fashion labels can those be recreated i don't know i don't know that the the 80s or those moments are are um Will come back in terms of like growing a business that big. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah. I think should it even? I don't think we need that really. I think that you know there's more there's more in the system now, right? So there's more opportunity. I think the growth is going to come from the brands that get investment. So we know Gabriella Hearst got an LVMH investment recently. So as they probably. Um, um, a, a, a chance for LVMH to watch that brand, support that brand, and potentially grow that brand. But will that brand grow to um, a big level? I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, um, but it'll grow, and it'll 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 achieve a certain level of success. But I I, I don't you know honestly I don't think it I don't I think those days are over. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know? I really do. Yeah. Well, we'll see what happens next. Thank you so much, Stephen, for the time. I always appreciate uh, your insight and great chatting with you. Thanks for having me. 
We hope you enjoyed the episode. A special thanks to Gianna Cappadona, the producer of this podcast. As a thank you for listening, we're passing along a limited time introductory offer on a three-month subscription to Glossy Plus. Glossy Plus members access unlimited stories, exclusive research, and more. Join today for just $49. That's $80 off by entering the code intro at checkout at glossy.co slash subscribe. And as always, be sure to subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and Anchor FM and leave us any feedback you have.